Hi, I'm Nikki from Teaching Autism and welcome to the Autism and Special Education Community Podcast. Are you an autism or special education professional? Are you a teacher or therapist looking for support and new ideas? You may even be a parent, family member or carer. This podcast is perfect to help you find out more information, support and get some of your questions answered. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Teaching Autism and Special Education Community Podcast. Today is episode 6 in our sensory series with Becky from Sensory Spectacle and this is our last episode together and we thought we would end it with something that we both really like to talk about and that's the importance of sensory play. So if you haven't listened to our previous 5 episodes in this sensory series I highly recommend heading back and listening to them all. Becky shares such a huge amount of information. She really is a wealth of knowledge. Be sure to head over to the show notes as well because I'm going to attach all the links for things that we discussed there as well as a coupon code for you that you can use for any of her sensory online trainings. But without further ado, let's dive right into today's topic all about the importance of sensory play. Hi Becky and welcome back to our final episode in this six-part series on the Teaching Autism and Special Education podcast about all things sensory. So before we start today, for the final time, could you give us a really quick introduction of who you are and what you do? Hiya, yeah, sure. So my name's Becky, I'm the founder of Sensory Spectacle and we educate about and create awareness of sensory processing disorder. So we work with children and adults with sensory processing difficulties. They share with us their insights, their descriptions, their experiences and we create immersive learning environments, training to help educate parents, professionals as to how it might feel to live with sensory processing difficulties and how we can then support people better. I've also got lots of other books, um, YouTube videos, online training and workshops that we provide as well. Fabulous. Thank you so much. And if you haven't listened to the past five episodes, I really recommend going back listening to those because Becky has shared so much knowledge about all things sensory with us. But today we are focusing on the importance of sensory play. Yes, a very, very important topic and one that I love. Definitely. It's one of my favorites. And this is kind of like keeping the best for last for me because I'm really excited to pick your brains all things sensory play. Totally. It's just where we can really be creative, isn't it? Yes. And before we start, for people who maybe are listening, maybe they know kind of what sensory play is, but maybe not so much. What would you say sensory play means to you? Um, it's everything. So sensory play is how we learn, how we explore, how we understand, and importantly, how we develop new skills. So for some people, we might need to help to expose them to certain situations, certain environments to help them to learn a particular skill um, or to become familiar with a certain environment. So we can use sensory play to offer new experiences we might be really creative, so we might do some messy stuff, might do some painting, we might play with dry things and feel the texture of them, listen to the sound of them. It might be that we use sensory play for relaxation um, and then as well as being able to use it to help develop more purposeful skills. 
Definitely. And sometimes people assume that maybe sensory play is just done in sensory bins and trays because that's what Instagram and Pinterest likes to tell us. But you actually have a book that talks all about different creative play activities that will be really beneficial for people as well. Yeah, so Spectacular Play Ideas is a book that I created um, and it's split into each of the sensory systems and gives you ideas for seeking sensations and avoiding sensations. So if you know someone's specific sensory needs, you can then flip to the right page of the book and try out certain fun and creative ways to support those sensory needs. That sounds wonderful. And I'll link that in the show notes. And my next question is, I'm laughing because I already know the answer to this one, but I have to ask it anyway. Who is sensory play for? Everyone. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, it's quite easy for us um, when we have a baby or when we're supporting children to type in something on the internet and it will come up with sensory play or sensory something. The word sensory is a bit of a buzzword at the moment, but I see that as a good thing. It's really important that we're recognising how important our senses are for our lives. However, as we're an adult, we still use our senses to play and to explore. It might be that we do it in a slightly different way. So I've recently started bouldering, which is a form of climbing. I'm now using my body and my senses to learn a new skill. And so rather than me doing it as more of a structured activity, sitting down, drawing, exploring textures, I'm now doing it as an adult through you know, a structured class of learning how to move my body, my joints and my muscles again. So we're all constantly learning through our senses. Um, And so it's really important that we do kind of acknowledge that this concept of sensory play is for everyone. It's not just for children and babies. Definitely. And I love the sound of bouldering. Like I'm not brave enough to try it, but I love the sound of you doing it. (laughs) A great sense of achievement when you get to the top and when you've managed to be able to kind of work your route out and really kind of pull your body. Um, But yeah, it's definitely a new sensory experience for me the day after. (laughs) Definitely. And I think that just goes to show as well that as we grow and our interests may be changed, so do the different activities that we take part in, along with all those sensory activities as well. Definitely. You horse ride, don't you? And I presume you've been doing that for a long time. And so your body, there's something about it that your body will find supportive, regardless of when you're a child horse riding and when you're an adult horse riding. Definitely. And I took a few years break um, in between before when I was like a teenager to when I was an adult sort of thing. And when I went back to it, oh, my goodness, the next day for, you know, the next six weeks probably hurt. (laughs) But some people might do that through food. So I know so many people that love going to different restaurants. That might be their way of sensory play. Um, And so it's not just a physical activity like we've been sharing. It might be that someone's way of, you know, really stimulating and learning more about their senses is is just by trying something different. Definitely. And I can vouch horse riding like you can vouch bouldering. It's one of those things where you can really... I feel like I use all my senses literally on that horse because you have to. Mm, Definitely. Yeah. Especially the smell. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And that changes. (laughs) 
But for sensory play, I feel like there are so many benefits from even like, you know, young babies right up to adults. But what would you say are maybe some of your top benefits that you think come from sensory play? Yeah, so I think um, if we are thinking about, you know, younger children, babies, young people, or maybe people with an additional need, a learning difficulty, things like interaction. So it might not be side by side learning, it might just be the fact that someone is watching you observing you preparing an activity. So pouring rice into a tray or pouring water into a jug, or them being given an instruction to take part in what you're doing. That is really, really important for that person's kind of confidence as well as their own understanding of not just the activity, but their sensory needs. So interaction, engagement, so engaging with a particular activity, following instructions, might be communication. So types of turn-taking, following instructions again, um, developing certain skills, so fine and gross motor skills, life skills, you know, getting my hands messy. How do I then sort out my hands when they're messy? How do I make them dry again? Being taught, being shown, washing my hands, drying them off. Oh, now they feel how I prefer them to feel. Um, And then talking about, you know, sensory regulation, like we were in the sensory lifestyle, we can use sensory play for younger children and um, adults in order to help them to regulate. So things like stress balls could be classed as play. However, there's a huge benefit to having that for someone to really, you know, work out where their body is, how much proprioceptive input they're using um, in order to regulate themselves. Another benefit is that we can use it to help teach new topics and expose them to new environments and experiences and I know I spoke a little bit about this when we talk about sensory rooms but we don't have to have a big jazzy environment to do that we can use the sensory activities to then introduce topics as well and that may mean that it's slightly more motivating for that student to want to understand or want to engage with because you've chosen something which is a little bit more of interest or meaningful to that student. Definitely. And I think one of the most common questions that I get are from teachers who are struggling to get their students to engage. And I think any sort of sensory play activity is a great place to start working on building up that engagement and the concentration and the attention because these activities are so exciting. And like you say, we can link them to different themes. We can link them to their interests. I think it's a really great place to start. Definitely. And we'll we'll see it as a different way of learning and we are learning and I think sometimes if we always use the word play we may not be thinking that actually it's a form of education so by having sensory activities we can then use them to teach as well as to have fun and explore and if we don't enjoy the activity then our students will probably recognize oh actually why do I want to do this? This doesn't look like much fun. 
that's not very exciting. Um, whereas if it's something that we can all enjoy, you're more likely to then be able to really encourage and excite your students to want to learn more, which then in the long run will help them to build up, like you were saying, their concentration, their focus, so that when they can come back into the classroom or they're doing more structured learning, they'll find it easier to sit down and focus for longer because they've been exposed to that in different ways previously. Definitely. And I've always found them great ways as well to build relationships because the kids always want to have fun. Like they want to be enjoying. And if you're just seen as someone who sits them at a desk and does math with them and makes them do their sounds like they're gonna be bored and they're gonna see you as boring but as soon as you pull out different fun activities especially like sensory play you've incorporated different things that maybe they love and you're seen as all of a sudden that you can have fun I think they relate to you that little bit better and it helps you build that relationship too definitely and it also shows to them that you you know them and, you know, you, you want to create something that you know they're going to enjoy because it's more fun. Definitely. And I know I kind of feel like these are so important to staff so that it sort of helps them as they grow as well and as they get older through different phases of life and school. But why do you think it is so important for us to be doing these different sensory activities? I think it, it just goes back to everything that I've been talking about through the series and that's that we need our senses for everything um as a baby you know the moment we're born we're learning about our environment through our senses so the warm feeling of our caregiver the smell of them the sounds that are around us the lights all of that is helping us to build up this experience of what's around us and so our senses have to start to work together and if our senses find it difficult to coordinate and work together integrate the term is then we're going to find it difficult then to develop certain skills and so as a baby as a child it's really important that we create lots of opportunities to help and um, this repetition of sensory experience so that then in our brain we can build up all of these uh, neurons firing so we can under we can do that activity a lot easier so as a baby we may do messy play and that might be in the build-up to actually weaning and starting to eat it might also be them learning and feeling where their hands are where their feet are because they can feel that certain sensation on their skin then as someone gets older you know skills like hand-eye coordination that involves a lot of senses. It involves my visual sense because I'm going to see the object I'm going to pick up. It's going to involve tactile because I'm going to feel that object in my hand when I have picked it up. But also it's going to involve proprioceptive input. So my body awareness, the way I use my joints and muscles. And so those three senses have to integrate. They have to work together just for me to reach out and pick something up. And for us as an adult... We might do that in our everyday lives so much, but we don't say, oh, that's my visual, tactile and proprioceptive senses. We just do it. 
And so when we're doing our daily activities, that's what's really important to remember with sensory play. That's the aim of what we're doing. We are reaching out and picking things up. We are looking at things. We're giving that eye contact. We are exploring smells. We're exploring how our body feels. So if we don't expose people to new experiences, new ways of doing things, then it's less exciting for their brain. They'll find it, um, they'll be less willing to want to explore things because actually it's really exciting when our brain gets to do something new. Definitely. And I think we can all vouch for that as well. Like we hate when we go to the same old teacher training and we're going over the same thing. But as soon as something new comes along, everyone's really excited and everyone's paying attention because we're all ready for something new and something exciting. So I think we can really relate to that as well. Oh, yeah. And that's because we're all sensory beings. We can all, you know, follow our routine of our daily life every single day. But as soon as there's something different or exciting think about the build-up to the summer holidays for a teacher but then also for a parent the parents thinking about oh I need to pack all of these things because we're going in an airplane or because we're going on a ferry or because we're going to a cottage but that starts a good couple of weeks before the actual activity happens so that anticipation is actually the exciting part that our brain's focusing on because it's different. Whereas my daily routine will still carry on happening and it's not something that I have to really think about changing because I'm so familiar with it. And I think another great thing about trying all these different activities as well is that it can help our students realise what they like and what they find helpful for their self-regulating as well. And that can be beneficial for the future. So I don't know how many times I've gone in and there's a 15-year-old student and nobody knows how to help them self-regulate because they don't know what that student likes. But if we're trying all these things from an early age, like you say, they're getting that experience and they're being able to try new things. They can learn for themselves as well what maybe they find helps them relax and what they like. Yeah, and those students are the ones that we really do need to try and find ways to support. And I, I talk a lot more about that on the teacher training I was talking about. So a student who might be difficult to engage in an activity or might seem bored or distracted or phase out most of the day because the student finds it the teacher finds it difficult to know what to do to motivate that student and for those students it might be that they have something called a really high threshold and so what that means is that student requires a lot of sensory input so a high input before their brain even recognizes that sensation. So it might be that they're dazed because actually it's almost like we're really sleepy. I need something really big to wake me up to then help me to draw my attention to something or to focus on something. That's why we see some students who constantly move throughout the day and even when they're sitting there fidgeting and wiggling around because they have a really high threshold. They need so much input movement-wise in order to be able to follow your instructions and to listen. Definitely. And I know you have a book as well as those training options where you talk all about how to support strategies for self-regulating as well. 
Yeah, so then there's the book Spectacular Support, which again runs through each of the senses and gives you ideas for hyper and hypo sensitivities. So you can go to the particular section that's relevant to your student. And those activities are with the aim that you can do them together. However, there are also strategies that you can help them to teach them to self-regulate as well. So they could do it for themselves as they get older. And I think that's really important as well, like you say, especially for when they're getting older and helping to give them the tools that they need to use in the future, because that's an important life skill for them to have, to be able to self-regulate. And like you say, all of that can develop from these sensory play activities that we're trying from such a young age. Mm. And some people may be able to support themselves and to regulate as they get older, whereas there's some people where we do need to help them to recognise and to provide ways to support their sensory needs as well. And talking of those different sensory activities as well, what are some of your favourite sensory play activities? I know you have a YouTube channel where you share lots of different ways to make different sensory play activities, but what are some of your favourite go-tos? So my my usual, my first go-to actually is something that involves movement. So again, it's free, but also it's great for our mental health to get people moving, regardless of their physical ability to move. Being involved in group activities or doing things together or just changing the way that our body moves is really, really important. Um, More play-wise, some of my favourite things, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, is anything getting messy. So mud, goo, paint, bubbles, dough, clay, um really exploring through our hands, through our body, visual elements. So you can blow bubbles and you can do printing, you could do um, oil painting and you get a really exciting visual when you print that onto paper. Mud, so being outside. I mentioned about gardening in the previous episode. So gardening's great for so many different sensory aspects, but just having a tray with some mud or some soil in it actually can be great because you can mould it into certain shapes. It's not the same as, say, sand where it loses its shape. It's a little bit more like that kinetic sand that keeps its shape. Um, And then I always on all of my workshops teach people how to make a stress ball. So a really, really simple way of making a stress ball with a food bag, some rice and some balloons um, and a bubble machine. So using a cup. And I think we've shared the link to that already, but we can post it on this podcast too. The last thing that I, um, it's a favourite of mine is something called an Explorer Bowl, which um, is... A cocktail bowl so you can get a big plastic bowl and I will personalize that bowl to have something in it specific for that student's needs so it might be that they're a visual seeker so I put lots of small um, mirror balls that you can get from like the pound store in the cocktail bowl I might put neon things because we know that neon are up to eight times brighter than regular colours if you really do have someone that seeks that visual input. Um, I might make it with something inside that makes a sound. So I might put bells inside if it's someone for auditory. I might put bells inside a pencil case. 
I might make it weighted. I might think about the tactile experience and put lots of different natural textures in there, like fur cones and soft things to get that contrast. So an Explorer Bowl is probably one of my favourite, most adaptable items to get. I love all of those activities. You shared so many good ones. I love how everything you sort of shared was the messy play ones. And then you sort of shared alternative ones as well. But I love them, especially the explorable. Like you say, that can be adapted in so many different ways as well. Yeah, and it's, I think, I found that it's really effective because it's similar to having a tray. So we know that we have tough trays or builder's trays or whatever they are to do big group kind of activities. But having something where this bowl is for this specific person, it's actually quite easy for them to also set up their own. So it might just be that one day the activity is they each have one of these bowls and they put their own things in there and they can explore it and play with it or make it or whatever it is that you put on the table. And you can then see from their own preferences, have they gone for wet gunky things? Have they gone for dry things? Have they gone for noisy things? Have they gone for visual things? Um, And that's the way that we can learn more about their own sensory preferences. I love that. It's such a great way to find out, like you said, what the students are going for and really get to know them as well and what they like to play with sensory wise. Mm, Yeah. And then, you know, you can use similar things for then specific teaching as well. So it might be that you add in numbers or add in letters or spelling and you use that sensory element to help with that teaching and, you know, teaching and play like we've said, we learn through play. So play is one of the biggest learning approaches we can use. Definitely. And I think it's great to see just how many more people and teachers and even families and parents as well are now on board with the whole learning through play philosophy. Mm, Yeah, it's a huge craze. And I think it's not about adding limitations. I know we've mentioned before I love messy things. Other people don't love messy things. Um, But it doesn't mean for you not to do a particular activity because it's not your preference. So find someone else that does love doing it so that then you can still create that positive, exciting, fun environment so that your students can be exposed to different sensory elements. Definitely. And I think that's a great way as well for you to give more responsibility to your staff in your classroom, because I was one of those people who, like we mentioned in previous episodes, cannot cope with things like that. But I just used to have someone else lead that session. They loved leading a session. The kids loved the messy play and I didn't have to go through it. So it was perfect for everyone. Exactly. That's what we need. Someone that loves it and someone that doesn't. (laughs) Yes, because then the children who hate it, they can come and sit with me as well and we'll do something else. So you're really catering for everyone then. I definitely. And I think as some there's some students as soon as they see you go in that that messy play cupboard or the sensory wherever you keep resources, they'll be following you. They'll be keeping an eye out to see what it is that you're going to be getting out. Oh, definitely. For us, it was when we have um, table mats for different activities and different subjects. And we always had the same table mat for sensory play. And in the end, we used to get the table mat out last because as soon as that mat came out, all the children were there ready because they wanted to know what you were doing, what you were putting in it, when they could get their hands in there. (laughs) That's a great idea. I like that. It did work really well. 
But I think that is all of our questions today about sensory play. But before we go, what is one takeaway you would like any of our listeners to take away today about sensory play? I think remembering that sensory play is a part of our development. So regardless of age, it should be something that we all enjoy and that we can explore and we can try. And it's not about things going right or things going wrong. It's about that experience and offering ourselves a new way of being able to interact or engage or to communicate with someone that we support or a teacher or parent or whoever it might be. But also that it's a really effective way for us to learn new life skills as well. Definitely. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, don't be scared for trial and error. I feel like a lot of what we do has to start with a little bit of trial and error. Mm, Yeah, definitely. Don't worry if your clothes get a little bit messy. Don't worry if the floor isn't clean. We can we can sort that out as long as it's safe. Definitely. And I'm really sad because this is the last episode today in our six part series. But if people want to learn even more, where can they find you? So I'm on Instagram. So if you search for Sensory Spectacle, you can find me on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, Obviously on my website, sensoryspectacle.co.uk, there's lots of information about what sensory processing disorder is, links to our YouTube channel, as well as our online training. And we've also got a shop on there with some of these books that I've been mentioning, but also some sensory support items. So things that you can buy at a really affordable price and some downloads. So information downloads for you to share in your offices or in your staff rooms or wherever it might be beneficial for other people to be aware of it too. Perfect. Thank you so much. I will put all those links in the show notes for anyone who wants to head over and find you. And you've also given us a 20% discount code off your online courses for a year as well. So make sure to head to the show notes and you can find the coupon code and all the direct links there. Yeah, that's right. So you can you could sign up for one of them if you like it, then you can use the same code to sign up for a different course. Perfect. Thank you so much, Becky, for coming on and talking all things sensories for six different episodes and sharing your time with us. I really appreciate it. No, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you so much, Becky, for doing this six episode series with me for all things sensory on the Teaching Autism and Special Education podcast. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes yet, head back because me and Becky are talking all about sensory and behavior, sensory profiles, sensory tips and activities to try, creating a sensory room, sensory lifestyle, and of course, this episode, The Importance of Sensory Play, is the final episode in our six-part series. Make sure to head over to the show notes where you can find all the links and information that we've talked about in today's episode. And if you have any further questions for anything sensory, be sure to reach out to Becky. Thank you for listening and I'll speak to you again soon.